The Reaper, the Maelstrom, and the Thief is a Dungeons and Dragons show by Rollcast, and it is intended for mature audiences. It contains mature themes, strong language, violence, and drug references. Full content warnings can be found in the episode description. Hi there, and welcome to Rollcast. We are a group of four friends who are currently playing through a homebrew Dungeons and Dragons campaign in the also homebrew world of Eaflock. My name is Tom, and I am the DM for the group and for the campaign. And normally joining me in these sessions are first-time players JB, Coogan, and Gaz, who play half-orc bard Ragnarok, dragonborn cleric Gregor, and human monk Ivok, respectively. Now, if you've just stumbled onto our video without being directed here from our first episode that we've recently uploaded, you might be asking yourself, where is the actual play in this actual play campaign? And that's a good question. Basically, we have been playing our first campaign now for a little time. Um, but due to a slight issue when we first began recording, and that slight issue being me using a literal metric shit ton of licensed and copyrighted music, as well as the primitive recording method that we used at the time. I mean, we didn't even use video back at the time. Most of our content from back then is just... is not salvageable. But... even though it's our first campaign, quite a lot has already happened at least in terms of character development and meeting people, rather than plot progression, as is the way. So we thought it might be best to put together just a quick little recap. Well, I'd say a quick recap. It might be best to put together a recap. Just as a heads up, though, for those of you who are watching this rather than listening to it, unlike our actual sessions, this video it will be mainly audio-based, also to know if you come from our first session to this video or if you continue the series after listening back to all of this recap and whatnot, then you might notice that the audio and visual quality take a little, a little bit of a knock um, compared to this video. And yeah, sorry, we can't really do much about that now. When we first started recording these episodes, I think it's fair to say we're all new to this process and because of that, um, our first batch of episodes suffer from the occasional bit of background noise, um, poor audio quality at times, and of course the dreaded poor camera placement. That seems to affect me more than anyone else though. For a couple of sessions I believe the camera is kind of pointing up at my chin, which is not flattering in the least. But uh, trust me, it does improve. It does improve quite a lot. As you can tell from the camera placement at least, the camera placement improves. Now, after getting through all of that, if backstory and events don't matter to you and you just kind of want to dive straight in, then that's completely fine. You can do that. And there should be a link up here somewhere if you're watching it on video. Alternatively, you can just follow the link in our YouTube description. And if you're listening via a podcast provider, then our link to episode one, the wager, will be in the description too. Now, what follows is essentially just a quick little abridged recap for those of you who don't want to sit through 
the entire recap because it is a little bit lengthy. So if you want to listen to that, then obviously carry on. If you want to skip ahead, though, so you can hear the full sorted details without any spoilers or anything like that, then there is a timestamp in the description. You should click that and you'll be able to hear every little bit and piece without the spoilers of the abridged version. Our tale began with four adventurers awakening in captivity on a slave ship. Ragnarok, a half-orc bard. Gregor, a dragonborn cleric. Ivok, a human monk. And Oedipus, a tabaxi druid. After escaping their bonds, they explored the ship, during which Ivok lost his sight and met the captain. After some tense words, he agreed to let the group plead with the god of chaos, Cyric, for their freedom. In exchange for an undisclosed favour, Cyric allowed them to go free. They then awoke in the outer districts of a city named Velden. As they explored, they realised that Oedipus had disappeared. During their exploration, they met other adventurers, including a half-elf named Valar Constance who requested their help in finding the town mage. After further excursions, a chance reunion with Oedipus, and encounters with local Yonti warriors, the group found the mage, saving him from being sacrificed on a plinth. In rescuing the mage, they destroyed the plinth, and it was at this point that Cyric revealed their true task. They were to destroy all plinths belonging to Merkel, the god of death. This lined up with Valar's task, as he revealed himself to be an agent of the King of Ixen. His true purpose was to stop a plague of undead spreading across Ixen, and he had recently discovered that banishing Merkel would achieve this. Unfortunately though, before he could fully reveal his plan, Velden was attacked by a swarm of the undead. Thanks to the local barman, who was secretly an agent of Valar's, our group were transported to a port town named Salt Harbour. There, they were greeted by the former slave captain, Crum, who informed them that years had passed since their last encounter, and, in that time, he had begun to also work for Valar. After guiding them through the town, Crum directed them on their next task, to find a plinth within a temple belonging to Merkel. In order to do so, though, they had to be accepted onto an expedition to the temple, ran by a family of aristocratical adventurers. They met with the son, Ebchar Reap, who informed them that they would need to complete three tasks in order to prove their worth. Gregor and Rag completed the first task, win the championship at the arena. After searching the town for the Lord of Salt Harbour to gain an adventurous permit, which was the second task, they were informed that he had travelled to a settlement named Beggar's Hollow, which had been attacked. The three realised they would need to travel there to get the permit. Along the way, they would also need to find a rare plant called Faygrowth in order to complete the final task. However, on their journey, Gregor lost his memories after picking up a strange mushroom, and in their attempt to help, Rag and Ivor, unfortunately, implanted false memories in Gregor's head. After this, they almost fell foul of a hag, but due to Gregor's newfound um, racism, they saw through the deception of the hag, and after persevering and slaying it, they discovered a new sprig of fey growth in the pool of her blood. Eventually, they reached Beggar's Hollow, where Lord Solis agreed to give them a permit, if, and only if, they slew the dragon that had attacked the settlement. Continuing on, they journeyed into a desert of salt, where it had last been seen, and quickly found its lair. However, once they were inside, they realised that it was just a wormling trying to survive. 
they convinced it to join them under the agreement that they would feed and protect it. After returning to Beggar's Hollow, they received their adventurer's permit and ran into the Patriarch of the Reaps, Anreus Reap, who then proceeded to interview the group individually to assess their worthiness. Although he found some of their answers concerning, mainly from Ragnarok, he agreed to let them join on the proviso that they reported their success to Ebchar and as long as Ivok took sole responsibility for the group. After this, and after Amrius had discovered the wormling they had adopted, and helped them to disguise it, Amrius then used runic magic to bring them back to Salt Harbour. And that is the very brief summary of our tale so far. Now, if you just want to jump straight into episode one, then, yeah, I don't think you're going to really miss out any vital plot points, but the full recap that I'm about to delve into does go into much more detail about the events, the world itself, and some of the characters that our our party have met along the way. Most importantly, though, you find out who tried to fuck a broom, and if they were successful. So, if that interests you, then sit back and prepare yourselves for the prologue of the Reaper, the Maelstrom, and the Thief. Hello there. Well, I did not quite see you. I joined us already. My name is Emrius Reap of the Reap family. You may have heard of us, uh, if you are up to date with any of the current news. No? Nonetheless, it is my job this evening to take you through the existing tale of the Solomonari, of their exploits before they met, sir. Uh, before they met me, the family, and the expedition group. <laughs> However, before we can truly get onto the tale of the Solomonari, I do feel that there is a, uh, a slight preamble, as it were, for you to truly understand the story. For you see, our tale takes place within this world, our world of Eaflok. A world with a large water-to-land ratio, with only three main known landmasses within the southern hemisphere where we currently reside. To the north is the land of Khazadar, a land that for most of history was unknown due to heavy fog obscuring the landscape. Soon after its discovery, though, it was beset by a cataclysm that brought in the current age, relegating the deities of that time to obscurity and resulting in the banning of almost all fey magic and worship. Once the dust settled, Khazadar, the epicenter of the cataclysm, became a largely flooded land, desolate and uninhabitable, with only the bravest of adventurers daring to seek it out. In the east, the kingdom of Erebor, a once prosperous nation with a long and storied history, until recently, though, this land was embroiled in a brutal civil war, brought on by the Mad King Titan's paranoia and lunacy. Although he is the ninth of his name, he is the first to attempt to subjugate the various races that he sees beneath him. Cobalts, gnomes, halflings, and many other races that have some form of fey blood flowing through them were seen as lesser. The segregation of these races led to a bloody five-year civil war, which saw allies from other regions drawn in, including the clerics of Talos. They may factor in later. Sorry, that is spoilers, I know. 
Nonetheless, the war was only ended after an event known as the Silence. Although not much is known about this event, it was said to be a decisive victory for Titan, with his army emerging victorious. Since then, segregation has returned, but the people of Erebor are still awaiting another flashpoint, and with it, another civil war. Finally, to the west is the Kingdom of Ixen, the kingdom where yours truly resides. It is a large landmass split into four sub-regions. The Velxa region, the Reslin region, the Luna region, that is, where you currently are now, and of course, the Mordrock region. Each of which is ruled by a Vyavode who reports the King of Ixen, King Lyval Twelfth. Although Ixen and Erebor have been allies for centuries, the recent civil war in Erebor has led to the two kingdoms breaking ties, mainly due to King Titan's motive for the war being directly opposed to the just and kind morals of our King Lyval Twelfth. As communications begin to break down between the kingdoms, skirmishes, unfortunately, have begun to break out, albeit only in the most extreme of circumstances. Unfortunately for this, our populace of Ixen, this is not our only concern. The king's health is now ailing, and his only son has been deemed as too young for the throne, and whispers and rumours have begun to run amok as to who may replace him. Perhaps more pressing though, the persistent tales of an undead plague that have swept across the land. Tales of the undead have been in Ixen for centuries now, but with attacks becoming more common, and with more settlements falling silent, what were once horror stories have become a real and tangible threat. But with all of that said, our tale itself begins not on any of these landmasses. Instead, the tale of the Solomonari began on a cargo ship named Zevia's Bane as it travelled across the Lynchor Ocean between Ixen and Erebor. As the ship followed its route across the Lynchor Ocean, four adventurers awoke within its depths. Ivok Mylart, a human monk searching for those responsible for massacring his order. Gregor the Last, a dragonborn and clerical tolerant in hiding, who deserted the Ereborian civil war. Oedipus. A tabaxi druid, far away from her homeland, searching for a worthy adventure. And Ragnarok, a half-orc bard, desperate to find a loot with personal ties, at all costs. Awakening with no recollection of how they had been captured on the ship, the four of them decided to work together to achieve their shared goal of escaping the ship. Setting the tone for the escape and... and for their entire adventure, really. Ragnarok almost knocked out Gregor in their quarter for waking him up. Despite numerous other misunderstandings, the quartet came to an agreement and... After navigating their way around large stacks of crates concealing their sails, they realised that they were in the hold of a ship. In their attempts to escape the hold, they came into conflict with two guards, their words breaking down quickly with the, uh, 
supposedly peaceful Iwok, ending the matter by quickly tearing the jaw off from one of the guards, before knocking the other one unconscious dreadfully brutal stuff, you see. Continuing their investigation of the ship, they came to the realisation that although the ship was largely abandoned, there were numerous ethereal beings acting as though they were working on the ship, which is obviously bally well odd. Ragnarok and Oedipus took to investigating the wardroom, and it was there that they discovered that they were on a slave ship that was run by a shipping group called Halfwood. This shipping group had the Outwood's reputation of being reliable and moralistic and just. However, over the years, numerous rumours had stuck to them, with uh, one of the most persistent of rumours apparently being true. Here, this rumour stated that Halfwood was simply a front for slave trading. As this was happening, Ivok found himself drawn to an odd black gem, and uh, when he picked it up, it caused him to go blind, uh, whilst simultaneously enhancing his other skills. Once they had all regrouped on the deck, they met Crumb Grimlock, the captain of the ship. After some back and forth, Crumb fully explained their situation to them, but he did offer them a solution. If, and only if, they were to plead with Cyric, the god of chaos, he might just grant their wishes of freedom. Although they were unsure as to why Crumb was helping them, they accepted his advice, and they ventured below deck to a previously sealed partition where an altar to Cyric had been erected. There, they suddenly found themselves in an infinite white void, where they discussed their circumstances with the disembodied voice of Cyric. Eventually, they managed to enter into a contract with him. A contract with the god of chaos. Very ill-advised. Nonetheless, he would save them, as long as they would fulfil an, at the time, undisclosed fail. Unfortunately for the group, they did not really have a choice, so they accepted, and as their vision went blank, Stoke's shrill laughter rang out around them. When they awoke, they found themselves in the outer areas of a large city, quickly identified as the market city of Velden. Not long after they awoke, they realised that Oedipus was no longer with them. But before they could venture any further, the voice of Cyric informed them that Oedipus had a separate task from them, and that, for now, they should simply enjoy their freedom and explore the nearby Market of Rust. Whilst exploring the market, the group met a fallen Azamar weapons merchant named Ren Lightbringer. And, due to them both speaking Celestial, Gregor quickly gained his trust. Which then, of course, led to Ren asking Gregor to return his stolen Zweihander back to its rightful resting place. Gregor, being the good soul that he is, despite his uh, worship of Talos, that's, that's besides the by though, he accepted the task, and although he did this as a good deed, this triggered suspicions in both Ragnarok and Ivok. Ragnarok, due to him not understanding Celestial in Gregor, understandably wishing to keep Ren's predicament a secret, 
And Iric, simply due to his innate suspicions of dragonborns, mainly due to their potential involvement in the destruction of his order. The group then spent the afternoon exploring the marketplace until they came across a tavern called the Drunken Ruby, where they settled for the night. To gain rooms for the night, Ragnarok began to perform throughout the tavern for money, whilst both Ivor and Gregor tried to gain information about the city by meeting new people. Not long after beginning his search, Ivor found himself talking to an intriguing man who wore the bracelet of his, uh, defunct monastery. The drunk identified himself as Cryat Millsblade, a former high-ranking member of the Hellensay Guild. However, due to Ivok confessing his recent bloody actions, Cryat refused to elaborate any further until the monk had atoned for his actions. After finishing his set, Ragnarok retired for the night in the inn across the road, whilst Ivok and Gregor found themselves in the company of a half-elf detective named Valar Constance. Valar explained that he had been contracted to find the main mage of the city, who, under recent weeks, had mysteriously disappeared. A mage of the name Castor White. He also informed Gregor that he recognized the stolen Zweihander that he was carrying, and believed it to belong to the Fey Cleavers, a long-dead sect of Fey Hunters. As luck would have it, the group were rumored to have a crypt within the nearby Whispering Woods. Offering to help them locate the crypt, Valar asked that in turn, they would help him in his search for the missing castle, as his uh, latest lead had led him to the Whispering Woods anyway. Although, quite understandably, Gregor was still very wary of Valar. A few more drinks loosened him up, and he agreed to the terms of the detective. Not long after venturing into the Whispering Woods, the group, along with Valar, discovered an old graveyard and within it, the remnants of an old crypt emblazoned with the Fey Cleaver Crest. As they wandered through the crypt, they discovered items and crests belonging to families from a previous age, and, sensing an opportunity to make some coin, Ragnarok, unsurprisingly, decided to loot as much as he could from within the tombs. It was a bally poor show from Ragnarok. In an uncharacteristically selfish turn, Ivok joined in with looting alongside Ragnarok, and due to the heavy-handedness of their actions, they drew the ire of a vengeful spirit. A jolly quick battle broke out, and although the group were victorious, Ragnarok drove a wedge between himself and Gregor by unleashing a thunder wave that knocked the Dragonborn unconscious. After this, though, they continued to venture further into the crypts until they met the uh, revenant form of Marcus Faycleaver, the founder of the Faycleavers. As the rest of the group discovered the past with Marcus, Ragnarok took this as an opportunity to continue looting the crypt. However, 
This backfired when he found himself compelled to steal more and more items, with it eventually dawning on him that he had somehow invoked a curse. After finally returning the Zweihander, a group were rewarded with some treasures, as well as being told of the Old Ones. The Old Ones were deities that had existed in the previous age, before the current pantheon of gods defeated them in a bloody war. On their return back to Veldum, the group were attacked by what initially appeared to be a human ghoul. However, as the battle raged on, it became apparent that not all was as it seemed. This feeling was compounded further upon the end of the battle, where the group realized that the creature bled fresh blood, and not, of course, the coagulated blood of the undead. As such, they then decided to remove the head of the creature so they could study it further back in the safety of Veldon. However, during the process, they discovered that the creature seemed to have a forked tongue, signaling that a local tribe of Yuan-Ti might be involved in some capacity. Once back in Veldon, the group visited Aegis Rumblefork, a high elf working in the city as an inventor. After appraising their items, he tried to help with the mystery of the head. Although he could not be certain, he had a hunch that such magic could only be attained by channeling the powers of gods. Continuing on, Aegis explained that although most magic is derived from the gods in some form, to have, to have such a pure and concentrated form of their magic, where whoever was behind it, behind this so-called ghoul, must have been using some kind of divine artifact as a conduit, as well as either having a powerful magic user, or utilizing the help if a powerful mage, whether that be willingly or unwillingly as it were. With this in mind, the group came to the conclusion that their mysterious assailant may well be behind the disappearance of Castor White. That evening, the group celebrated their successful excursion to the crypts with another night at the Drunken Ruby. Gregor, though, having spent years on the run from King Titan's forces, Gregor was not quite used to drinking heavily and swiftly became inebriated. With both Ragnarok and Ivok occupied elsewhere within the tavern, the now drunken Dragonborn was left alone. But, as luck would have it, he found himself deep in conversation with a particularly attractive Dragonborn who seemed to love all of his jokes. Not quite sure how, Gregor is not a funnier chap, he is quite serious. Nonetheless, testing his luck further, he invited her back to the inn, which she happily accepted. Back in the drunken ruby, Ragnarok had taken to performing for the patrons, and before long he had entered into an impromptu duet with a particularly skilled man. Once the duet was over, the man introduced himself as Sean Hughes, a representative of the district that they were currently in. 
After their introductions, the two then spent their night drinking and drinking more through the tavern stock and exchanging stories of past performances, becoming fast friends in the process. The next morning, Gregor, having not been drunk in a little while, awoke with an incredibly painful headache. This was not the only pain he had either. For you see, opening his mouth, he realized that the pain on his tongue had been caused by numerous splinters embedded in it. Flashes of the night appeared on his head, and as he looked at his bed and saw numerous wooden fragments there, it slowly dawned on him that... <laughs> That dragonborn woman was not a dragonborn woman at all. For you see, she was a broom. <laughs> oh, yes, that quite explains why he does not talk about that youth too often in the group. Nonetheless, he sheepishly made his way out of the room, running into the innkeeper, whose judging eyes told him the whole story, especially after she shoved the half-destroyed broom into his hands and ordered him to return it to the tavern. After this, the group temporarily went their separate ways in order to prepare for their next attempt at finding Castor White. Having previously learned that the destruction of his order may not have solely been the fault of the Dragonborns, Ivic had resolved to try and treat Gregor better, and so the two spent the morning together. First off, the pair updated Ren on their success on returning the Zweihander back to its rightful odour. Surprisingly though, Gregor, being the kind soul that he is, refused any form of payment. Although, to be fair, this may have been a miscommunication on Gregor's part. Continuing on with their day, the duo then returned to Aegis, but with the High Elf still feeling offended from the last time Ivor can himself spoke, he refused to speak to the monk. Instead, Gregor had to convince Aegis to attune the helm of telepathy that Ivor had recovered from the crypts. However, having realized Gregor's attempted at deception, Aegis initially attuned the helm solely for Gregor, but after some more convincing and many more pieces of gold, Aegis relented and tuned it for Ivok. The two then proceeded to leave Aegis's workshop, but as they began to make their way back to the main marketplace, they were stopped as the entire area was rocked by an explosion of some sorts. The culprit, none other than Ragnarok. You see, during the time that Ivor and Gregor had been revisiting Ren and Aegis, Ragnarok had been carrying out his own mission. Or, more accurately, his curse had begun to afflict him once more, and having been surrounded by so many valuable items, Ragnarok found a compulsion to steal to be too strong to resist. His target was what appeared to be a set of invaluable armor, displayed proudly on an armor stall belonging to an orc merchant named Jok. For his initial attempt, Ragnarok simply crouched next to the stall and tried to grab the armor and walk off. Unfortunately for Ragnarok though, before he could retreat with his stolen goods, he was spotted by Jok himself. Jok, despite being an orc, was incredibly well-meaning, without an ounce of aggression in his large frame. So, because of this, he simply thought that Ragnarok was trying on the armor. A tense standoff occurred, although it was one-sided, as Jok himself did not understand the full weight of the situation. 
And as Ragnarok continued trying to fool Jok, <laughs> he continued to fail. As such is often the case, the more he failed and tried and failed, the more desperate he became. And he began to resort to other magical means, including attempting to charm Jok. For his part, Jok unwittingly resisted all forms of magic from Ragnarok, ultimately resulting in Ragnarok believing his only recourse was to unleash a thunder wave at point blank in front of Jok himself. In the aftermath of the marketplace attack, Ragnarok, still wearing the armour, escaped in the confusion and terror and made his way back to the inn to store his ill-gotten goods. Once he had managed to return to the sleeping inn, Ragnarok set about hiding his loot underneath the bed, whilst also trying to disguise himself so as not to be spotted again by Jok or any of the other witnesses from the marketplace. Before he could fully complete his transformation though, he was interrupted by a humanoid cart trying to open his door. In a blind panic, he slammed the door in its face and refused to leave his room until the cat left or the rest of his group joined him. As this was happening, Gregor and Eirik had continued looking for Ragnarok, tracking him back to the inn. Once inside, they also ran into the humanoid cat, however they immediately recognised her as Oedipus the Tabaxi. Although the group were relieved to see her again, she found herself unable to recount any of the adventures she had been on since their separation due to some form of memory loss. Nonetheless, they continued catching up with her as much as they could before the group, along with a disguised Ragnarok, made their way over to the drunken Ruby to meet up with Valar. After some quick introductions, they discussed the next stages of their investigation into Caster White's disappearance. Deciding that they should continue their investigations into Caster White's disappearance, the group set off on their way to a small village on the other side of the Whispering Woods. As they approached the town gates, Ragnarok's behaviour had begun to cause Ivok to become suspicious, but before Ivok could use his new helm of telepathy, Ragnarok began playing his horn obnoxiously loud so as to attempt to break Ivok's line of questioning. With Ragnarok's actions infuriating him, Ivok attacked him while still wearing the helm. As they fought, Ragnarok's mind let slip that he had stashed something within his room at the inn. But, unfortunately, as Ivok had lost his composure, he was not able to piece the information together. The group managed to calm down, leading to them travelling through the Whispering Woods once more after they found numerous sets of tracks that Valar believed to belong to a local Yonti tribe that may or may not have been involved with the disappearances. Although the group tried to remain together, both Gregor and Ragnarok found themselves wandering separate paths until they were met by ghostly apparitions. For Gregor, he met his old companion who he had served with during the Ereborian Civil War, Edgar Murrow. Edgar would not, or more accurately, could not elaborate on what had happened to him, or why he had never sought out Gregor, telling him that only the silence had occurred. 
The closer that Gregor got to Edgar, the more that Edgar's skin paled, with more intricate writing spreading across his face as Gregor got within touching distance. However, touching Edgar proved to be a mistake. The instant that they met and touched, Gregor dropped to the floor in agony, and an age passed before he regained his consciousness, being found by Valar, Oedipus, and Ivok. Although he was evidently shaken by the events, he pressed on with the rest of the group as they attempted to find the now missing Ragnarok. As this was happening, Ragnarok, like Gregor before him, was presented with a ghostly apparition. That said, Although the sight of her instilled a sense of familiarity, Ragnarok could not quite place who she was. Nonetheless, he watched as she walked away, flowers blooming and then dying in her wake. It was at this point that Ragnarok realized that the woman had started to sing her very softly, and, pulling out his lute, he tried to accompany her. What followed was another sense of familiarity as he found himself playing a tune he had not heard in years, the lullaby that his mother had sung to him as a small child, the same lullaby that this woman was now singing. Finally realizing who this woman indeed was, Ragnarok called out to his mother, however he found himself alone on the forest floor once more, until the rest of the group found him from his shouting. With the group now finally together, they continued their journey, coming out into a clearing with a single deer residing there. Although a hungry Ivok tried to hunt the creature, Oedipus managed to alert it in an attempt at stopping the hunt. But it became apparent to the group that such an intervention was unnecessary, with the deer facing them with an unnatural, rictus grin. It was clear to the group that once again they were about to discuss matters with Cyric. Having finally tracked them down once more, Cyric informed the group that as payback for saving their lives, their end of the bargain would be to destroy a plinth that was nearby to their location. Although he did not go into details, he explained that a plinth is a direct link to deities, and essentially provides power from the deities to the realm, and vice versa of course. Although it was only a guess, he believed that a plinth belonging to Merkur, the god of death, was nearby. The trio questioned his motives, but Cyric simply explained that Merkur appears to want to make the entire realm undead. Oh, yes, I see why that would be problematic. Nonetheless, an undead world would be a boring one for an agent of chaos such as Cyric. Their true task finally revealed Gregor, Ragnarok, and Ivok all agreed to Cyric's terms, agreeing to destroy any and all plinths related to Miracle in order to repay their debt. Time immediately resumed, but having only made it a few steps, the group realized that once again, Oedipus had disappeared without warning. But, Cyric's disembodied laughter let them know. Whatever reason she had had for being there at that time had been fulfilled, and Cyric had decided that she was needed elsewhere. 
Undeterred, the group continued further inward. But, with his heightened sense of smell, Ivok was quick to notice a heavy scent of blood. He then led the group to a horrific scene. A silent grove lay in front of them, the ground completely slickened with dark blood. As they headed inwards, they noticed a break in the canopy, and from it, a few rays of sunlight. There, in the center where the rays joined, they saw their target. A dark black plinth that, like everywhere else in the godforsaken grove, was covered completely in blood. However, in addition to the blood, a man had been chained onto the plinth was what they could only assume to be a Yonti priest continued his spells. Although the group attempted to apprehend the priest, they were unsuccessful as the priest fled further into the forest. As Vala initially attempted to free the bound man, a blinding white light threw him across the grove and alerted the rest of the group to their newest threat, a Yonti human abomination. The group was quick to press the offensive on the abomination, and for some time this tactic was working quite well for them, as it not only allowed Ivok to engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the Abomination, it also allowed Gregor to help Valar recover from his early injury. However, before they could finish off their foe, the Abomination managed to grapple Ivok before sinking its fangs into his neck, immediately knocking him out with its poison. Gregor then took over for Ivok as Ragnarok tried to bring the monk back around. Luckily for the group, Gregor proved to be an adept fighter and managed to take out the eye of the Abomination with ease. The Abomination then tried to get the upper hand by attacking Gregor once more. However, this was quickly foiled as Gregor threw the Abomination into the air, where it was quickly finished off by Valar and his rapier. In the aftermath of the battle, Ragnarok and Ivok got into yet another argument. Though this was soon interrupted by a small voice above them crying out for help. By using the trees around him, Ragnarok was able to scale them with ease, and after following the voice, he came across a strung-up, barely-alive gnome, bleeding profusely and barely retaining consciousness. Back on the ground, the gnome introduced himself as the missing Castor White, and as the group settled for camp a little further along from the clearing, he began to explain to them that he had been abducted by the Yonti some time ago due to their discovery that the blood of magic wielders can, when spilt on a plinth, amplify powers to such an extent that they are able to form or merge new life. After hearing this tale, the group realized that they could not simply leave the plinth be, no, and so they returned back to the clearing and attempted to destroy it. Unfortunately though, their initial attempts at just using brute force yielded no results. But 
with Ragnarok channeling more energy into it than ever before, he unleashed a stronger form of his Thunder Wave directly at the plinth, causing it to be destroyed beyond all recognition. The second the plinth was destroyed, Ragnarok, Gregor, and Ayrak all found themselves transported to another realm filled with flames, darkness, and what can only be described as inconsolable rage. But, as quickly as they had found themselves in this new realm, they reappeared back on the forest floor. They then quickly decided to camp out elsewhere that night. The group then returned to Velden early the next morn. Despite the earliness of their arrival, they were soon swamped by a large group as word had begun to spread already of the four people who had rescued the town castle. That said, Ragnarok, who had been a scamp, fearful of being exposed as a thief, donned another disguise as the group made their way to the center. Once they reached the caster's house, he retired for the rest of the day, fatigued from his recent ordeal. As was their custom at this point, the group decided to spend more time at the Drunken Ruby. Before that could happen though, either, having figured out Ragnarok's involvement in the marketplace attack, tried to force him through the market, but eventually Ragnarok was forced to admit his responsibility in what had happened, as well as informing the group about his curse. Before they had even entered the tavern, both Valor and Gregor implored Ragnarok to make amends with Jacques, albeit anonymously. In disguise, Ragnarok approached Jacques and initiated a conversation. Luckily, Jacques did not recognize Ragnarok due to his disguise, and feeling comfortable around another half-orc, Jacques told him of his most recent misfortune. By feigning ignorance, Ragnarok acted shocked and offered to invest in Jacques' shop to pay back for all the damage that had been done. Though, he did have to explain what investment was to the half-orc. With Ragnarok believing that he had made amends for his actions, he returned back to the group. But the group itself, having realized that nothing amusing was going to happen with Ragnarok and Shuk, had gone their separate ways, with Valar promising to regroup with everyone later that evening. And Ivok also leaving the tavern to sell some of his goods at the marketplace itself. Ivic continued to make his way around the market, running into a series of arguments with numerous vendors, with Ivok believing the vendors were trying to cheat him out of coin, whilst the vendors in turn believed that Ivok was trying to use aggression in order to coerce more money from them. Eventually, though, he did come across a simple stall, consisting solely of a rug, a small bag placed on the rug, and a tabaxi vendor. Ivok had just found Lincea in a shop, Veldon's shop of holding. The two immediately hit off with each other, initially just making conversation and chatting for a while. Eventually, though, Ivok remembered his reasons for being in the marketplace and brought up the items that he was selling. Lindsia happily took Ivok's items and placed them in the small bag before clambering in himself. A beat passed. And another. And another. 
Eventually, though, after a number of minutes had passed, and after Ivok started to believe that he had been once again scammed by a vendor in Velden, Linsir clambered back out of the bag and gave Ivok a large sum of money. That evening, as they slept, Gregor, Ivok, and Ragnarok each found themselves back in the liminal white space that they had been transported to when first meeting Cyric. During their conversation, Cyric congratulated them on actually destroying a plinth, but then he did inform them that whilst the plinth was destroyed and is an impressive feat in of itself, they had not actually destroyed a plinth belonging to Merkur. He was still able to feel that that plinth was nearby. Sarek then explained some of the limits of his powers. He was not able to directly intervene in mortal affairs or directly provide help that could potentially affect other deities and their presence on this realm. That said, as a reward for destroying a plinth, <laughs> even if it was the wrong one, Sarek announced that he was bestowing powers to each member of the group that might prove useful in the future. The next morning, the group discussed their strange dreams and came to the realization that they had all had the same one, and that they possibly did somehow travel back to Cyric's realm. After this conclusion, they set off once more to find Shorm and claim their reward for the rescue of the caster. After finding him, Sean congratulated the group before derailing the conversation with yet more details about his family. Nonetheless, the group then managed to get him back on track. For their efforts, he rewarded them with 500 gold pieces, as well as the promise that he would get each of them permanent passes to the next city district, the War District. However, it would take around about a week for the process to be completed. In addition, for Gregor, Sean promised to discuss an additional reward from Ren regarding the Zweihander, as Gregor now regretted refusing payments. As they would be waiting for around about a week, Sean requested their help. Hardbracker, a small logging village located on the other side of the Whispering Woods, had recently fallen silent and had missed numerous logging shipments. With the rumors of undead attacks growing louder, Shom had become concerned that this fate may have befallen Hardbracker itself. Additionally, the leader of the village, Larson Bradley, was Shorm's half-brother, and so for Shorm this was a personal request. Just before they could set off though, Valar caught up with the group and took them to a quieter spot. Once he was sure that they were not being listened to, Valar informed the group that he believed that multiple plinths, perhaps belonging to more than one deity, were being used, or potentially multiple groups were using the plinths for different reasons. Because of that, and because of the group's growing fame after rescuing the castle and destroying the plinth, Valar believed it would be wise for the group to leave Velden for a little while, whilst the heat around the events cooled slightly. His final revelation, or then supporters of Mirkul might be after them, was that he wasn't just a detective, he was in fact a direct aide. 
who came alive and had been commanded to investigate the disappearances around Veldon. His discovery so far with the group had led him to believe that the threat of the undead was growing to be a threat to the entire land, and that this threat was about ready to strike. Finally, the trio began their three-day journey through the Whispering Wood to Hardbracker, the atmosphere of the woods having improved considerably since destroying the plinth. Still, even with this improved atmosphere, the group could not help but feel as though they were being stalked by something. Nonetheless, they managed to camp out for numerous nights and continued on their journey with no incident. Immediately upon reaching the village in the dead of night, it was apparent that something was amiss. With heightened senses, Ivok was able to deduce a small amount of survivors huddled in a cabin towards the back of the village. Deciding that the best course of action would be to scout out the area, Ragnarok made his way through the cabins and towards the centre of the village. As he got closer to the centre, although he could not hear any movement, Ragnarok noticed heavy damage to numerous cabin doors as well as trails of dark liquid. The group continued investigating the village, finding more cabins with smashed doors, the interiors showing seeds of utter devastation, cabins slavered in blood, the corpses of numerous villagers being left to rot for some time. The further into the village they ventured, the more unsettled they became, especially when Ivok became aware of a faint hissing noise coming from various areas. Thinking fast, he scaled a cabin and used his elemental achievement to shake the ground in an attempt to force any others nearby out. Believing the way ahead to be clear, the group made it to the centre of the village, and there Ragnarok tried to pry open another cabin. However, before he was able to complete his task, he narrowly missed the entrance by a blast of arcane energy thrown by a yaunty warlock from the tree line. A fierce battle ensued, during which the warlock almost emerged victorious numerous times, but with some inspiration and creative use of the tentacle rod, they were able to momentarily incapacitate their foe. This did not last long though, and breaking free, the warlock attacked them once more. However, this did lead to Ivok tapping into the power that Cyric had recently bestowed upon him. Activating his monk's judgement, he temporarily regained his sight and was able to move with more speed and fluidity than ever before, essentially becoming an unstoppable force. But, seeing as this was the first time he had used this power, he was not fully in control of it, and so even though he damaged the warlock heavily, he was not able to finish it off, as his body was still not lining up completely with his newly regained sight. The choice of finishing off their foe was removed from the group anyway, as a sphere was launched from within the trees, impaling the Yaunty Warlock. Before looking for the sphere's origin, Ragnarok and Gregor decided to loot their fallen foe, with Ragnarok cutting off the tongue of the Yaunty and fashioning a makeshift bracelet. Gregor in turn found a bag that would allow him to summon various animals. With this new bag, Gregor summoned a large badger, creatively called Badger, and sent him off to investigate some nearby noises within the trees. This then caused a large amount of hissing before Badger re-emerged safely, closely tailed by yet another Yaunty. Though this one, a pure-blooded Yaunty, seemed different to their previous encounters. 
The Ornti, identifying itself as Akio Shisui, was more humanoid than the others that they had previously encountered, and was actually friendly, wishing to stop all of the bloodshed that had been occurring. Akio then explained how his community, Ayurita, had lived in peace with the people of Hadbracker for decades without incident. But this all changed after his father, the leader of Ayurita, returned from a journey and commanded that their god, Asifatun, required sacrifices from other races. His father believed that these sacrifices would bestow upon them great power, and it quickly went downhill from there, with the end result being the kidnapping of Castile White, so as to further bolster their strength. After seeing this conflict and violence for the past few months, Akil had decided that he had had enough, and going directly against his father, he decided to try and search for the plinth, whilst also trying to save the people of Hadbracker. The trio then informed Akil that the plinth that was being used for sacrifices had been destroyed, so hopefully no further kidnappings should occur. Pleased with this information, Akil informed the group that he would return to his village and ensure that this would never happen again. Though, before he left, Akio realized that there were another two Yonti guards patrolling the area. Two guards that would have to be neutralized. Unable to immediately locate the two guards, the group split in two to find them, with Gregor and Akio passing the house where the villagers were huddled. The two conversed in draconic about the peculiarities of the house, but found themselves unable to enter. Depending on how forceful they were being, they were either simply turned away by a mysterious force, or physically thrown from the boundaries of the house. The two then decided that the surviving villagers must have created some form of protection. Meanwhile, Ivor and Ragnarok continued investigating some sounds from within nearby cabins. Ragnarok then resorted to his usual tactic, destroying everything nearby with a thunder wave. The resulting damage threw two snakes from the cabin towards the forest and Banshee. Seconds later, Gregor could hear the cries of his new badger friend, and acting without thinking, he immediately ran into the forest to help his badger, but ran into an ambush instead by two Yaunti guards. Another fierce battle ensued during which a heel showed his combat prowess, using cones of ice to attack and slow down his brethren. As the battle continued to rage on, every member of the group took a large amount of damage. However, Gregor, overcome with rage due to Badge's injuries, managed to slaughter one of the guards, whilst Ragnarok, in turn, finished off the other with his hand axe, before removing its tongue to add to his growing collection. With all of their foes vanquished, the captive villagers, led by Larson Bradley, exited the safe house and greeted the trio as heroes. As they were being congratulated, Akil snuck back off into the tree line, knowing that staying around could possibly provoke the villagers. Larson explained how the attacks had begun, how Hardbracker and Eurita had at one point had good communications and trade, and how he had considered Cesaro, the leader of Eurita, to be a close personal friend. After some convincing by Ragnarok, Larson agreed to set up a meeting with Cicero at some point so that they could try and put this behind them somehow, but it was only under the proviso that Veldon would send guards to not only protect the village, but to provide personal protection during the meeting. 
Lesson also allowed the group to stay in one of the vacant, unbloodied cabins, as well as offering to provide as much food and water as they'd required as payment and thanks. Although the group would have preferred a monetary reward, they understood that due to the recent events, food, water, and lodgings would have to do. As dawn broke, life began to return to Hardbracker, and the group caught up on their sleep, awakening the next evening. Departing, they said their goodbyes and promised again to ensure that Shorm would send further guards to protect them. They continued their three-day trip without any incident. That is, no incident until the final evening. Rain began to fall, slowly at first, as they came to an abandoned campsite in a clearing. As they investigated the campsite, the only noises to be heard was the rain getting stronger and stronger with every passing minute, the occasional hoot of an owl and their own rummaging. Odd as the makeshift camp was, what was more peculiar was the fact that the campsite fire was still burning, though the rain was quickly killing it. It was with abject horror that the group realised that something was dreadfully wrong with the scene as they discovered that blood slicked the floor of the entire campsite. And, in an attempt to escape, a frightened Ragnarok tried to flee back into the woods, only to come face to face with the putrefied, decaying face of his zombified ogre. As more noise emanated from the other side of the clearing, and as more trees began to fall, they realised that they were being stalked by two of the large monstrosities. Realising that they had no choice but to fight, the trio attempted to hold their own, with Ivok removing his blindfold once more and utilising the monk's judgement to deliver the first flurry of blows. The weather continued to worsen as the fight wore on, and the vision of our heroes became more and more obscured by what was now a heavy storm, only worsened by the dying embers of the fire being put out by the ogres as they rampaged across the campsite. In the darkness, Ragnarok was almost killed by one of their foes. However, Ivok was able to rescue him by controlling the falling rainwater to create a trail, separating Ragnarok from the attacking zombified ogre. The battle itself was finally won when Gregor avoided a blow from one of the ogres, ran up its arm and delivered a killing blow to the skull. On the other side of the clearing, Ivok and Ragnarok were working together to finally put down the other ogre, with Ivok using another flurry of blows and Ragnarok finally killing their foe with a well-placed axe to the head. As the rain continued to fall, the trio fell to the floor, bruised, wet, muddy, and bloodied. However, they were still alive. With their exhaustion rising, the three decided to sleep overnight near the clearing. The next morning, they made their way to Elden cautiously, the previous night a grim reminder that the Whispering Woods were anything but safe.
Thankfully, though, their journey back to Velden did not take too much longer, and they were able to reach the outskirts again by midday. It became obvious as they approached the Pillar District that some form of celebration was taking place. As they made their way through the crowd, what they initially thought was a carnival of some sort turned out to be a ceremony. Approaching the stage that had been erected in the centre of the residential area, they saw that none other than Sean Hughes and Valor Constance were on the stage. Asking a villager what was happening, Gregor was informed that Sean was standing down as the representative of the Pillar District, and in the meantime, Valar would be taking over his responsibilities. After hearing this, both Ivok and Gregor made their way through the now-deserted Market of Rust towards the Drunken Rube. Meanwhile, Ragnarok had invaded the stage and was angrily demanding to know what was going on, leading to a shouting match between himself and Valar, until eventually Sean placated the half-orc by telling him he would explain shortly. Ragnarok continued waiting impatiently until the ceremony ended. Then Sean asked how the mission of Hardbracker had gone. Ragnarok then updated Sean on the mission, how they had fought off the auntie, how his brother had been saved, and how the people there now required some additional guards. As he tried to convince Sean to join them in the Drunken Rube, the now former representative let Ragnarok know that he had pressing business in the West, but Valar would now reward them for completing their mission. With that, he shook Ragnarok's hand one last time and set off into the crowd. Feeling very confused, Ragnarok looked down into his hand and found himself now holding a small coin, embossed with the sigil of Halfwood, but with the sigil itself heavily damaged. Back at the drunken Rube, with Irek and Gregor, they had begun to drink and discuss recent occurrences with Daybeck, the bartender there. Daybeck informed them of some of the goings-on within the city whilst they had been away, including how Castor White had essentially hurled himself in his house studying about the plumes. He also informed them that although he could not divulge too much information, Shorm and Valar were old friends that had served together in King Lyval's army, and decided that jeweled the plinths, it might be better if they utilised their skills more effectively. For Shorm, this meant leaving his family for the time being and travelling Ixen in order to discover more of the plinths' locations. And, for Valar, it meant sticking around Velden for a while longer, whilst he investigated the nearby plinth and its location. However, for this, he would need unfettered access to the city, access that only a representative would have. Shortly after this, Ragnarok made his way back to the party where he was informed by Daybeck to wait for Valar, who would in turn provide all the information that they required for the next steps of hunting the plinths. Over the course of waiting, Ragnarok, as he was wont to do of course, proceeded to get incredibly drunk, almost passing out by the time that both Valar and Castorquite appeared in the tavern. Upon their entry, the rest of the tavern was emptied out so that they could talk in peace. But not before having to force out a particularly difficult elf. 
Eventually, though, he left, and only Ivok and Gregor Ragnarok, Daybeck, Castor White, and Valar were left in the drunken Rube. Valar began by informing the group that in the week that they had been away, Castor White, Sean, and himself had all delved deeper into the mystery of the Plymouths. Together, they discovered that there are multiple plimps in existence for each of the pantheon of gods. And as such, finding all of the plimps of Merkur would require travelling across Ixen. From their research, they had discovered that at one point in the early ages of the current age, knowledge about the plimps was commonplace within the religions. But... Shortly after the banning of fame magic, all records and knowledge of the plimps appeared to disappear from existence. Due to this, finding out where they would be located could prove to be tricky. And so, in the week that they had been away, Valor and Shorm had come to an agreement. They had both served in King Lyval's army in their younger years, and due to Shorm's abilities as an alchemist, he would scour the land of Ixen, trying to locate the plimps that needed destroying. In turn, Valar would use his skills as an investigator to not only discover where the plinth was near Velden, but would also root out who was the true mastermind behind the sinister goings-on that had been occurring all around Velden. It was at this point that Valar revealed his plans for the trio. They were to assist by meeting up with one of his contacts within the port town of Salt Harbor in the Lunar District, a, a large region in the center of Ixen, and the best region, if I do say so myself. According to Valar, his contact had found out some information about some possible locations within the area that could house artifacts belonging to Merkel including, potentially, a plinth. With Gregor taking the lead in the conversation, he agreed for the rest of the group. However, that would only be if Valar paid them immediately for the job that they had just completed. Valar agreed to his terms, also letting Gregor know that Ren had, by this point, acquired an item that he wished to gift to the Dragonborn as a reward for returning the Zweihander previously. In addition, Valar gave the group some extra money for provisions during their mission, letting them know that they had until that evening to finish off any business within Velden, as at that point, Daybeck would be transporting them to Salt Harbor using a portal. Continuing with the brief, Caster White explained that the town was protected by a rare artifact called a New Mine Crystal, and due to its effects, no magic was able to be used within the parameters of the town. He then explained that, like the plinths, New Mine Crystals were more prominent in the previous ages, but most records of them had disappeared. Nonetheless, the scant records that were still available hinted at multiple types of Numine crystals, each with their own powers. He then tied this explanation in with another 
about how most forms of modern magic within the realm were derived from the gods in some way, shape, or form. However, this was a symbiotic relationship. Those who put their faith in specific gods and used an anchor of some kind would be able to channel their power into magic. But, in turn, their belief and faith would put more power back to the gods. This relationship changed in a previous age in Khazadar, when a group of adventurers accidentally formed direct tethers between the pantheon of gods and the realm of mortals. This had a double effect. The powers from the gods were amplified, leading to the creation of multiple undead abominations, including those who were able to still use their inherent racial abilities. However, this increased power did come with the caveat that if all tethers between a god and the realm were severed, they would not be able to directly interact with mortal realm or channel any power to and from followers, rendering them powerless. It was because of this relationship between the gods and their tethers that the current plan for eliminating Merkur had been devised, and seen as the group had already destroyed one plinth, they had proven their worth. Before they set off for provisions, Ayuk asked why the Yonti were so determined to help Merkel. Kester White explained that they were not helping Merkel. Instead, they were sacrificing people to whomever that that plinth actually belonged to. Their god is a form of powerful blood magic. With their quest now set, the trio set out into the market of rust, determined to ensure that they tied up all loose ends, as well as getting sufficient provisions for their travels. For Gregor, his most important task was to locate Ren once more, and finally receive his reward for delivering the Zweihander. As a reward, Ren gifted Gregor with a Sun Blade, a rare weapon that appeared to only be the hilt of a sword. However, when activated, it would emit a beam of pure, white, radiant light. Fittingly for Gregor, someone who has had a personal vendetta against the undead, this weapon would be even more effective against them. As this was happening, Ragnarok had been blindfolded so as to ensure that he would not see anything valuable and trigger his curse. Chaos, of course, ensued. Finally, Ivok once again visited Lincea at his shepherd holding to sell the ogre hat he had harvested, as well as acquiring a magic ring and finding out some information about some of the potions he had come across. Unfortunately for the group, though, their time had run out. With a guttural moan ringing across the marketplace, an undead guard burst through the stores and began to attack civilians. 
Before the trio could even react, more undead guards staggered onto the scene, causing the crowded marketplace to panic even more. Although they attempted to defend the city and the marketplace, the group soon found themselves overwhelmed as more civilians fell to the undead horde only to rise up again as a member of the undead. Before long, Despite fighting valiantly, the group found themselves vastly outnumbered, with more undead creatures than living in the marketplace at that point in time. With the amount of undead around them, their escape route had been blocked, and all hope seemed lost. Suddenly, a mass of fire, lightning, and acid engulfed large swaths of the undead crowd, released by Castor White as he fought his way to the group. Even with this though, the horde continued to overwhelm. With defeat near, White implored the group to make their way back to the drunken Rubeg and use Daybeck to teleport to Salt Harbor and to safety. During this, Ragnarok almost fell once more to the horde. However, once again he was saved by Sean Drawing a transmutational circle on the ground, the alchemist launched a brutal attack on the horde, creating enough of a distraction to allow Ivok to help Ragnarok back up and back for the drunken Rube. Even with this help though, their battle back was a struggle, and it was not until Valar finally joined the fight that the group made it back to safety. The undead horde kept coming. Noticing that Daybeck was unable to create a portal whilst being attacked, White fought his way out of the tavern whilst chanting an incantation. As the portal finally began to open, the group entered it, though they could clearly hear a Valar pleading with the castle, but to no avail. The last thing that they could see before the portal took them away was a glow emanating from White himself. The glow engulfed him. And, as soon as he opened his eyes, the entirety of the horde and the marketplace itself were obliterated by a wave of energy. The destructive wave consumed everything as the castle fell forward lifeless, and Shorm created the final wall around the survivors and the portal itself. This was the last that they saw of Velden before the portal consumed them completely. They had somehow escaped the fall of Velden. With the sound of seagulls ringing through their ears, they realized that their hearing was the first sense of theirs to return. And as their vision slowly returned, the trio realized that they were in a small clearing, and reaching out to them, a gnarled half-orc. Holy crap, I didn't expect to see you guys again. It's been a few years. Standing in front of them was the captain of the slave ship that they had begun their adventure on, Crom Grimlock. Crom expressed his shock at seeing the group again after such a long time. Although the group themselves were still suspicious, especially regarding the fact that Crom had said it had been years since he had last saw them, when for them it had only been a few weeks. Crumb began to lead the group through the woods, explaining that he was, in fact, Valar's contact as he did. He then also apologized for his previous actions, explaining that due to circumstances as a child, 
he had become indentured against his will. First to Harford, the shady smuggling company that had tasked him with smuggling prisoners, including themselves and Oedipus, after he had been caught trying to steal one of their ships. And then to Cyric himself, after the god of chaos had saved him once as a child, and then again as an adult on his maiden voyage for Halfwood. These rescues came at a price though. To spare their souls, Crumb's crew were bound to the ship, and Crumb had to continue working for Halfwood for years. It was not until Ragnarok, Ivok, Gregor, and Oedipus had made their deal with Cyric that the god released Crumb from his contracts. Finally free, but now haunted by the souls of his former crew residing in his head, Crumb wandered the world once more, trying to tell anyone that would listen about Cyric and Halfwood. During this period, Crumb eventually met up with Valar by chance. The detective was intrigued not only by Crumb's first-hand knowledge of Cyric, but also his knowledge of the nefarious practices of Halfwood. Over time, the two became close allies and friends, and Crumb agreed to act as a liaison for Valar and any of his agents that he recruited. This, Crumb explained as he led them through idyllic farmlands leading to a large gated town, led to the former ship captain setting up in Salt Harbor, as the new mine crystal's influence meant that the town was one of the only places in all of Eathlok where he did not hear the spirits of his old crew in his head. When questioned about this, Crumb explained that due to the new mine crystal's powers, any and all curses that afflicted someone would be void whilst there. For Ragnarok, this meant that he would no longer feel the urge to steal items. For Ivok though, the effect was far more profound. For the first time in months, he could finally see again. With the sunlight passing through his bandana, he removed it and was brought to tears at finally being able to see his surroundings again for the first time in months. This did, however, lead to the group contemplating stealing the new mine crystal for Ivok himself, or at the very least, chipping some of it off, a plan that was quickly derided by Crumb. And by this point, they had made their way into the outskirts of the town, and were met with the sight of the outer area where slum and dwellers resided and tried to sell wares. For some reason, Ragnarok became overwhelmed and happily dived into the open sewer channel, catching the attention of Aja Clorara, an air genasi who was well versed in the area and, if I do say so myself, a bit of a cat. After Ragnarok and Aja finished their brief conversation, Krum informed them all that Aja effectively ran the dark area. A hidden realm within Salt Harbor, where all manner of disreputable jobs and contracts were undertaken. Continuing on, they passed through the inner area of the town, passing around a large tower made of black glass, which, according to Crumb, housed the new mine crystal. And finally, they reached the commercial area where Crumb's tavern, the Baneful Squid, was. Now, taking this as an opportunity to explore the area, Gregor left the group in order to sell some goods whilst Ivok, Ragnarok, and Crumb entered the tavern. 
Inside the tavern, Ivor and Ragnarok began to discuss their next steps over a couple of drinks of ale, or more accurately, tea for Ivor. When they began discussing the plimps, Crumb told them how the reaps, a local aristocratical family of archaeologists, and if I do say so myself, all around a jolly fantastic group of people, how they were going on an expedition just outside of Lake Poentitia, a large lake within the region. They had found a large decrepit temple there that seemed to have a sigil reminiscent of Merkel's on the doors. Luckily, they had decided not to investigate immediately, instead wishing to put together an expedition team before exploring the temple. As such, Crumb suggested that the Reaps would be the best people to contact, as the temple may hold one of the plimps. However, in order to go, they would need the permission from the Reaps, and to be accepted onto their team. Ivok and Ragnarok both seemed to agree with this plan and decided to call it a night there. As Ivok and Ragnarok were spending their time with Krum, Gregor had been exploring the commercial area and had entered into a general store, striking up a conversation with the shopkeeper, Toby Newden. I know Toby, he was a good man. A ghastly business what happened with his wife, but nonetheless he seems to be doing well enough, all things considered. I digress once more. After asking the shopkeeper for some local knowledge, Gregor proceeded to slip him a bribe for information about the dark area. That said, even with the bribe, Toby could only really tell Gregor that Archer ran the place, and if you needed a clandestine job or contract, it was the place to go. Back at the tavern, Gregor then caught up with Crumb, who in turn told him that his companions had taken an early night. Gregor then drank alone for a while, as Crumb informed him of his group's new plan to find Oreeps. The next morning, the group then set out once more, splitting into two groups. Ragnarok and Ivok would visit the Crystal Tower in order to see the viability of stealing the Newman Crystal from the Keeper, and Gregor would find the Reaps and try to convince them to allow the group to accompany them on their expedition. Whilst Gregor searched for Reap Manor, Ragnarok and Ivok approached the Crystal Tower, but were unable to find the entrance until Nezi Ood, the total watchkeeper of the Crystal, approached them and happily allowed them to enter the tower. After explaining his responsibilities, which were mainly ensuring the safety of the new mine crystal, the group tried to convince Nezi to leave the tower again to go shopping, mainly so that they would have the time to try and steal the crystal. However, Nezi could not be fooled so easily, but he did let them know that showing visitors the new mine crystal was one of his responsibilities and that he would happily give them a tour. Instead of having a simple tour, though, both Ragnarok and Iwok found that climbing the sheer glass steps was more difficult than they had initially anticipated. Because of this, they fell multiple times, and what should have been a simple ascension of the stairs turned into a brutal trial that took them over 20 minutes to complete. 
Once they reached the top of the tower, they discovered that the new mining crystal was suspended in an ornate metal cage. Nezzy reiterated that he did not truly know where new mine crystals came from, other than the occasional mine. But he did know that they were linked somehow to the old Fey Gods. Ivak continued trying to find out information on how to either remove or take a piece of the new mine crystal, but to no avail. As Nezzy looked out on the port town with Ragnarok, Ivok realized, though, that the softly humming crystal already had a small chip missing. He looked around, trying to avoid drawing Nezzy's attention, and for his troubles, he was able to find the small chipping of the crystal and quickly pocketed it. As this was happening, Gregor had made his way to the nearby Reap Manor, but found it to be locked and all entry barred. Asking around, a nearby guard told him that Ebcha would most likely be at the docks. Once he had made his way to the docks, Gregor immediately spotted a large red figure, stood alone at the edge of a pier. He introduced himself to the figure and asked if he required any help with the upcoming expedition. Impressed by his tenacity and the tales of his group's previous escapades, the tiefling introduced himself as Ebchar Ring and let him know that he would consider allowing them to join on the expedition. However, due to previous members of his group perishing on previous expeditions, before Ebchar could allow them to join him, he requested that the three of them completed a series of tasks in order to prove their competency. The tasks were to beat the current champion of the Fighters' Guild and show Ebchar their reward. Locate and return a specimen of a rare plant called Thayguru. And finally, to obtain an adventurous permit from the Viavo of the Ruler District, Lord Solus. Hmm. Knowing the Lord Solus personally upon numerous escapades, I have no doubt that that would have been the hardest task. The very least, just putting up with man is difficult enough. Nonetheless, I have no doubt we shall find out about that in a little while. Continuing on with the story, the last task was less to prove their competency and more due to the fact that without one, they and Ebchar's group would be breaking the law. They would have Around about a week to complete the tasks and failure would result in them being left behind and not accepted onto the expedition. With that, Gregor shook the tiefling's hand and set off once more to find the group and update them on their latest tasks. Back at the Crystal Tower, Ragnarok and Nezzy saw Gregor making his way back to the residential district and not wanting to draw too much attention, Ragnarok made his excuses and began to make his way to the exit with Ivor still hiding his crystal fragment. Unfortunately for Ragnarok, in his haste to exit the tower, he once again found himself struggling down the stairs, resulting in his tripping and falling down the entirety of the staircase, much to Ivor's amusement. In response, Ivok simply leapt down the center of the tower and casually floated to the bottom, passing Ragnarok as he fell and resulting in him waiting for around about five minutes 
as Ragnarok continued to fall down the stairs. Unable to find the door again at the base, the two began attacking the walls, trying to locate it. After attacking the walls for a good few minutes, Nezi appeared once again to let them out. Once outside, I've convinced Ragnarok to lend him his bag of holding in order to test out a theory about the new mine crystal chipping as he ventured back outside the walls of Salt Harbor. I've traveled to the wooden windmill located at the edge of the farmland surrounding Salt Harbor whilst holding the chipping. Once he passed the wooden windmill, he retained his sight whilst holding the chipping. But, as a side effect, he felt his connection to his key fade, signalling that whilst the chipping would allow him to keep his sight outside of Salt Harbor, it would also negatively affect his fighting abilities. Not only this, but placing the chipping in the bag of holding would remove his sight and restore his key connection. With that, he headed back to Salt Harbor rejoin Gregor and Ragnarok. Whilst Ivok was testing the limits of the crystal chipping, Gregor and Ragnarok had returned once again to the painful squid to discuss their next options. Gregor informed Ragnarok that he had been successful in finding Ebchari, but before they would be accepted onto the expedition group, they would need to prove their worth by completing or free tasks. They then agreed that they would focus on fighting the champion of the Fighters Guild first, and then they would seek an audience with Lord Solus before setting out to find the Feygrove plants. Crum then discussed their plan, informing them that the rarity of the Feygrove plants was due to their propagation only happening when the blood of a Fey creature was spilt reminding them again that the chance of finding a fake creature would be incredibly low. They then discussed the possibility of entering the dark area and purchasing one there. But again, Crum warned them that the chances of finding a genuine one there would be relatively low. It was at this point that Ivok returned telling the group of his success with the crystal chipping whilst they, in turn, informed him of their next tasks. They set about deciding who would fight the champion, but with Crum warning them that the champion was a full-blooded orc that had never lost a fight, none of the trio were particularly infused to fight him. That said, during the discussion, both Ragnarok and Gregor's ego got in the way. <laughs> that, that sounds about right, yes. Nonetheless, it resulted in them both arguing over who would fight the champion, an argument that was won by Gregor after an impromptu arm wrestle. The group then entered the Fighters Guild arena in the financial district and were immediately met by the raw, with the crowd below them as a fight was already taking place. They quickly found their way to the reception table where the owner of the guild, a small goblin named Murug, was taking a large number of bets from the baying crowd. 
forcing their way to the front, Gregor expressed his intention of fighting the champion, and Morok, sensing the opportunity to make money, offered the group a triple return on their bet, as well as a cost of 20 gold of course to participate. The group placed their bets, Ivek and Ragnarok betting 300 gold pieces each, whilst Gregor bet 100 gold pieces, as well as of course his participation fee. Before the fight began, Ragnarok convinced Morg to let him introduce the newly christened Shark Tank. After having the rules explained to them, Ragnarok and Gregor began to prepare for the upcoming battle, whilst Ayuk made his way to the stands, sitting next to Arja. Gregor and Ragnarok entered the arena, coming down the viewing platform as Ragnarok started playing music and running around the ring in an attempt to hype the crowd, who in turn, quietened down immediately as the imposing figure of Shorduk made his way to the ring, prompting Ragnarok to quietly remove himself from the ring. The fight began with Shorduk swinging at Gregor and narrowly missing, and Gregor returned the favour with a strong uppercut drawing blood, something which seemed to please the great orc fighter. A bloody, brutal battle ensued, with Gregor managing to nimbly avoid most of Shorduk's attacks and deliver numerous blows, but to seemingly no avail, as Shorduk appeared to shrug off most of their damage. The turning point truly happened though, as Gregor started to become cocky, dropping his guard as Shorduk delivered a fist to the stomach, followed by a crushing blow to his face. This set the tone for the rest of the battle, with both Gregor and Shorduk exchanging blows to each other, turning the fight into a battle of attrition. Even with Gregor utilising his lightning breath, Shorduk refused to fall. It was becoming obvious to everyone that Gregor was reaching his limit as he had begun to stagger around the ring. In turn, Ivak was about to toss Gregor a potion from the stands, but was stopped by Arja. Not only did he have good money against Gregor, but he reminded Ivak that he would be breaking the rules for naught, as the new mine crystal would prevent the potion from working. Instead, Ragnarok attempted to inspire his friend by playing his lute, but this did not work. Gregor launched one final desperate attack, but each blow missed, and was short of delivering a brutal, brutal counterattack after each blow, felling Gregor finally with a crunching headbutt. For Ragnarok though, this would not do. They needed to become champions of the Fighters Guild. With that in mind, he began to manipulate Murg, using the Goblin's greed to tempt him by offering to go double or quits on their bet. Murg agreed, believing that even with Shorduk injured, he would be able to beat Ragnarok, a simple musician. As the fight began once more, Ivok attempted to move Gregor, but after failing, 
He simply sat on his unconscious friend, rationalizing that he was protecting Gregor from any further damage. The second fight was no less bloodthirsty than the first, with Ragnarok unable to get into a rhythm and just swinging at Shorduk wildly. This was reciprocated by Shorduk, with each fighter narrowly avoiding the other for quite some time. Finally though, Shorduk managed to land a damaging blow to Ragnarok's throat and continued to deliver a barrage of blows to the bard. Luckily though, even though he was close to defeat, Ragnarok fought fast and started to focus all of his attacks on Shorduk's shin, laying into it and forcing Shorduk to the ground and after he broke his leg, he caused the broken bone to erupt through Shorduk's shin. Despite now having the upper hand, Ragnarok was thrown across the ring by a prone Shorduk who had launched a final last ditch attack. Injured but not out of the fight, Ragnarok hobbled back to the prone Shorduk and broke his other leg before driving both of his fists into Shorduk's face, finally rendering the orc unconscious. A silence spread across the crowd before they erupted into pure hysterics, elated at seeing a new champion and having essentially witnessed history in the making. Although he was shell-shocked, Murug re-entered the ring, shook Ragnarok's hand and presented him with his prize, a silent crowbar, as well of course, his winnings for the fight. Having taken heavy damage during the battle, Ragnarok asked Ivok to help him back to the tavern, the action of which caused Gregor to finally wake back up. However, he was unable to recall if he had won the fight. Ragnarok, of course, took pleasure in telling his friend that he had lost, and as a result, Ragnarok had had to step in. Although it was still early afternoon, Gregor and Ragnarok were barely able to retain consciousness, the effects of their battle still weighing heavily on them, sparking concern from Crumb. The group tried to drink away their wounds, but this only had the effect of causing them to become quite drunk, resulting in both Ragnarok and Gregor passing out on the tables. Seeing an opportunity to explore the town more, Ivok left his friends at the town to sleep off their injuries. Ivok then made his way through the residential area, passing by the crystal tower and acknowledging Nezi along the way. 
He quickly found the base of the hold where Lord Solus resided, but after catching the attention of nearby guards, he was told that Lord Solus had recently set off on a quest to help a small village on the outskirts of the Salt Plains. A vast land full of salt that resembled a desert. Whilst it was normal for the Lord to personally go on quests, and whilst he had not been gone for an abnormally long period of time, the guards told Ivok of previous occasions where Lord Solus, a man with a good heart but lacking the skills to follow through, <laughs> I can attest to that, nonetheless. Um, he had gone on missions before, where he had had to be rescued. Yes, that, that does sound awfully similar for Marwen, nonetheless. Let us carry on with this tale. The guards requested that if they found themselves at the village named Beggar's Hollow, they would check in to see if Lord Solus had appeared there and, if needed, if they would help him. Ivok agreed to help, especially as Solus would be more likely to grant them an adventurer's permit if the group had helped him previously. On his way back to the tavern, Ivok ran into Ebchar and made his introductions before updating the tiefling on their progress. During the discussion, Ebchar divulged more information on the expedition, such as the people going himself, his dashing father if I do say so myself, some guards, and, of course, some others such as a priest and another archaeologist. Additionally, he explained why he required them to complete his tasks, and why he believed that the temple belonged to Miracle. Before departing, Ebchar also gave Ivok some advice on where areas outside of Salt Harbor were located, such as a beggar's hollow as well as what the Fago of Plant actually looked like. The next morning, the group decided to explore the commercial area before they set off for Beggar's Hollow, with Ivok and Gregor making their way to the blacksmiths nearby. They entered the blacksmith's hut and were met with a blast of hot air, and were unable to breathe or see due to the amount of dense fog coming from the forge. They started a conversation with Zelnus Crinklesnap, a triton who had washed upon the shore decades ago. Zelnus regaled them of his story, how his people came from the deep sea, how he had washed up years ago and lived with Nezu for some time as his apprentice before realizing that he preferred working with his hands and became a blacksmith instead, and how he had saved a young Aja from the sea. Although it was apparent that Zelnos did not have the time to make anything special for them, Ivok placed an order for an additional hand axe and put down a deposit. 
With all of their business concluded, the group exited the town, but not before Ivok purchased a small silver necklace from a cobalt beggar, into which he jammed the small new mine crystal chipping. The group followed the road towards the settlement for around two hours, before both Ragnarok and Ivok grew bored of walking and decided that they would return to Salt Harbor to purchase horses so that they could speed up their journey. Unfortunately for them though, their attempt at using a raft made of ice to sail down the stream back to Salt Harbor did not work as expected. Instead of smoothly sailing back, they ended up in a desperate struggle to not drown as the ice raft became increasingly less stable the more damp it became. After yet another unwarranted thunder away from Ragnarok, the two instead decided to just walk back to the town whilst Gregor and his new companion, Wolfe, continued on their journey up the path. After a solid 90 minutes or so of jogging, Ragnarok and Ivok find themselves back at the stables outside of Salt Harbor. As luck would have it, the stables themselves were devoid of any workers, and there were only two horses being stabled at the time. Ragnarok quickly decided that he wanted a sleek black horse, and immediately put it at ease, allowing him to mount it without incident. As there were no workers within the stable, Ragnarok placed a bag of gold on the floor before maneuvering his new horse into the main area of the stables as he waited for Ivok to do the same. In the other store, though, Ivok was having great difficulty soothing his horse. Trying and failing multiple times, he eventually got to the point where he was on the horse, though <laughs> the horse itself had laid it down and refused to move, half helping his friend and half antagonizing him as Ragnarok is wont to do. He suggested that Ivok needed to soothe the horse, following his advice with a gentle melody to inspire the monk. Eventually, full of rage over the amount of time it had taken him to get on the horse, Ivok rode out without paying, leaving Ragnarok for people to be an honest chap and leave more gold on the stable floor. The two then rode off to catch up with Gregor. As this farce had been occurring, Gregor had continued on his journey with Wolfe. The landscape had changed at this point for the duo, gone with the lush farmlands and tree lines. Instead, they were replaced by a barren landscape, devoid of all life except for the occasional lizard. Eventually, though, Gregor was joined once more by Ivok and Ragnarok, both aided this time by their horses. The group then continued on their way, Ragnarok and Gregor riding one horse, and Ivok riding another, with Wolfe running alongside them. The rest of the day continued without incident for the group, until they had begun descending down an incline, which then led to a canyon forged out of eroded salts, the stream that they had been following now becoming a fast-flowing river. The further they travelled into the canyon, the more eye-catching the flora became. Previously, they had been lucky to spot a cacti, 
But here in the canyon, the plants glowed luminously, many of them glowing vibrant hues of blues, reds, and many tones in between. With the sun now beginning to set, the canyon became lit up by its rays, the refractions against the plants causing a spectacular light show within the canyon. Though none of the luminescent plants were the fey grove plant that they had set out to find. With his small amount of knowledge regarding the area, Gregor pointed out a few of the plants including a blue mushroom that he was sure was not only harmless, but also quite common. He then dropped off Ragnarok's horse in order to harvest the mushroom. Unfortunately though, as soon as Gregor picked up the mushroom, it released all of its spores directly into his face. A few moments passed by in silence before Ragnarok broke it by slapping Gregor as he rode by and called him an idiot for endangering himself like that. Enraged and showing uncharacteristic aggression, Gregor launched his mace at Ragnarok, hitting him directly in the back of his head. The two then began to square up, as Ragnarok was unsure what had caused Gregor to react in such a violent manner. Gregor, in turn, began to roar at Ragnarok, demanding to know if both Ragnarok and Ivok were assassins sent by King Titan. A fight broke out between the two as Gregor continued to sling accusations at his friends, whilst Ragnarok, in turn, attempted to figure out what had caused such a turn in Gregor. The two of them continued fighting, as in the background, Ivok had deduced that the mushroom had somehow affected Gregor, and with his curiosity piqued, he stashed it in the bag of holding, using Earth as a holder of some sorts. Still unable to figure out what was going on, Gregor had begun to form a guiding bolt to launch at Ragnarok, but was halted by Ivok, also trying to convince his friend that they were not against him. Gregor did not seem to remember any of their previous adventures. His last full memory was when he was alone in a tavern, drinking away his sorrows. It took some time and a little convincing, however, Ivok finally managed to calm Gregor down. And during this, though, Ragnarok had noticed that the river had stopped flowing. A cheerful yet vaguely sinister voice emanated from around them, seemingly originating from Gregor's mace. As he no longer had any memories of the group's adventures, Gregor had no clue as to what was going on and so he began to swing wildly for the apparently invisible entities. Although it took some time, Gregor eventually realised that the voice was coming from his own mace, and looking down, he was shocked to see that the mace had grown eyes in a rictus grin. More shocking for him, though, was the fact that his companions did not seem to think that this was too out of the ordinary for them. Sarek reintroduced himself for Gregor's benefit, and stated how difficult he had found it to locate them, given that they had teleported from one region of Ixen to another, and then essentially became invisible to him due to the pink new mine crystal in Salt Harbor. It also became apparent to the god that Gregor had indeed lost his memories. 
something that seemed to irritate him slightly. Strangely enough, Cyric then offered to help them with no deal attached this time. He would take Gregor back in time to key moments in their adventures so far, so as to jog his memory. As he told Gregor this, a split voice of Cyrix told Ivok and Ragnarok separately that they were merely illusions, uh, but they would need to try and keep the events the same, as this would be vital for Gregor's cognitive recovery. With no other option available to them, the group agreed and were engulfed by a bright light. When they awoke, Gregor was greeted by a new sight. He was on a boat, locked in a small room, with a half-orc named Ragnarok. For Ragnarok, though, this was all too familiar, and trying to essentially speedrun the memory whilst keeping it the same. Without provocation, he attacked Gregor. But this time, it was with no context. What followed was essentially an am am reproduction of their first meeting, but with numerous things going awry. Instead of falling off the stacked crates in the hold onto Oedipus, Gregor instead nimbly passed through them all. Instead of having a closely fought battle with the hold guards, the group instead tore through them easily, attacking again without provocation. To Gregor's abject horror, Ragnarok proceeded to tear off the jaw of one of the guards, grabbing the lower half and literally punching the top half off, with the actual real event being far less traumatic and a result of Ivok not knowing his own strength. With that though, the first flashback was over, completed but changed in Gregor's mind. This then set the tone for the rest of their adventure within Gregor's memories. Their first night together in the tavern was by and large very similar. However, this time Ragnarok drew more attention to himself by ruining various instruments, and Ivok, having misremembered the evening, got Gregor so drunk that his memory of meeting Valar for the first time essentially erased itself. Their next memory was the Fae Cleaver Crips. Like the other memories, they managed to almost keep things intact with Ragnarok and Ivok reenacting their thievery within the Crips and invoking the wrath of the Vengeful Spirit. Like with their memories on the ship, the fight with the Vengeful Spirit was a lot easier for the group than it was on their first go. This, however, raised the potential for the memory not playing out as it should. To remedy this, Ragnarok attempted to hit Gregor with a thunder wave. However, as it did not come from a place of desperation like it did in the actual events, all it did was make Gregor believe that Ragnarok was attacking him and caused him to black out. Another flashback and another location. This time, back in the drunken Rubo, and Gregor regaining consciousness as Ivok was hoisted into the air by cheering patrons, and Ragnarok began playing to the audience. 
What should have happened was that Ragnarok would play to the crowd in duet with Sean Hughes. Ivek would use his elemental attunement to wow the crowd, and Gregor would get so incredibly drunk and do unspeakable things to a broomstick. However, Ivek forgot his role, and in his attempt at subtly reminding the monk, Ragnarok dropped some lit candles which quickly caused a fire. In another attempt to draw the crowd's attention, Ivok tried to collect the flame, but shortly lost control of it. With a burning hole now in the tavern roof, the situation spiralled out of control as Ragnarok played maniacally around the burning tavern and the memory distorted even further. Coming into yet another memory, Gregor had finally begun to work out what was happening, realising that he was reliving memories. Yet, unfortunately, this did not truly help him. This current memory, when the group re-met Oedipus in Velden, shortly after the Thunder Wave in the Market of Rust. Thankfully, this memory was recreated perfectly as the group interacted with the visage of Oedipus faithfully. The more memories that they visited, the faster they seemed to go by, and before they could even get their bearings, they were in yet another memory. This time, Gregor was alone in a dark and sinister forest. Yet, when he saw the figure in front of him, he was barely able to comprehend it. His old companion from the clerics of Talos, Edgar Morrow, stood in front of him, Strangely though, not only did Edgar mention about Titan, as was the case in the original memory, but he also seemed to reference the mushroom which he named a renarial mushroom, along with the events that had transpired in Salt Harbor. As before, as soon as Edgar touched Gregor, he dropped to the floor and lost consciousness once more. At this point, in the white void between memories, Ivok had begun to lose his cool, and shouted at Cyric, asking if they had fixed Gregor's mind yet. With no answer, but a slight pain in his head, Gregor awoke in a small logging village in the middle of the night. Thankfully, the group managed to recreate their memories of Hardbracker successfully, Ivak and Ragnarok taken to investigating the village, whilst trying to update Gregor on the situation. In a display of commitment to the cause, Ragnarok realised that the first time they had visited Hardbracker, he had fallen off a roof, and so he threw himself off of the roof. But before he could hit the floor, they found themselves in yet another memory. The sense of hearing was the first thing to come back, rain falling all around them. Eventually, though, they could hear the hoot of an owl and the blazing of a nearby campsite fire. Although Gregor could not remember this scene, both Ragnarok and Ivok could vividly. It was a night that they could never forget when they faced the undead ogres. Almost on cue, the undead ogres burst through the trees and attacked the group. As was becoming a theme for the group reliving their memories, although their first time fighting the ogres was a closely fought battle where they all almost fell, the second time around was nothing like it. 
much more prepared than before. The group dispatched their foes with ease. Although in this recreation, Ragnarok killed the ogre that Gregor had originally slain, and Ivok did not create a trench of water to rescue Ragnarok. After their foes fell, the group remained in the clearing, although they expected to be taken to yet another memory. They continued waiting, but to no avail. After a short period of time had passed, the rain around them stopped, freezing in place, indicating that they were in the presence of Cyric once more. Cyric then began to apologize for having no further memories for them to explore, as shortly after the memory of the Undead Ogre fight, they entered Salt Harbor and left his influence. Shortly after, both Ivok and Ragnarok awoke once more on the canyon floor, yet Gregor remained unconscious. It became apparent that they would need to wait until the morning to see if they had been successful. The characters form of Cyric hopped into their view, and noting that Ivok did not seem too pleased with his gifts, the God of Chaos proposed one final deal to him. Cyric would replace his gift to Ivok, his sight would return and he would gain another power, but in return, not only would his enhanced reactions fade whenever he could see, but he would also owe Cyric another favor. After some deliberation with Ragnarok, Ivok tentatively agreed, and a time began to flow as normal once more and the Richter's grin on the cactus slowly disappeared. Nothing seemed too different for Ivok. It was not until he removed the new mine crystal chipping that he realized that his eyesight remained. Not only that, but Ragnarok quickly noticed that Ivok's eyes seemed to be glowing a vibrant violet color, with streams of purple light flowing from them. It was this odd sight that Gregor finally woke up to, his memories seemingly restored. As the night progressed, Ivok began to understand his new powers more, specifically if he suggested an action to someone, as long as it was not intentionally malicious towards themselves, the person would feel compelled to follow his orders. However, there were, of course, drawbacks to his powers. After compelling Gregor to set up camp, he also compelled Ragnarok to set up and light a campfire. Shockingly, though, not only did Ragnarok slice his arm open, striking the fire, he also set his arm ablaze in the process. Not only this, but it wasn't until he had completed his tasks that he finally realized what had happened. It became apparent to the group that whilst Ivok's new powers could prove invaluable, they could also cause complications if they backfired, and caused damage like they had with Ragnarok. The next morning, more chaos ensued, as Ivok continued testing his new powers with Gregor being forced to cook breakfast, stabbing himself in the process. As well as shortly after, when a well-meaning comment of avoiding the mushrooms from before almost resulted in Gregor drowning himself. 
in an autumn turn, a short fight broke out between Gregor and Ragnarok after the usually calm cleric dragged Ragnarok into the stream as well and began to attack him. The group continued on their journey over the course of the day, only pausing to take in the occasional sights, including a slightly ominous spire in the distance. As they continued to approach it, they began to hear noises nearby. They paused and Gregor quickly discovered the origin of the noise. A small halfling covered in dirt and leaves was following them. Again, showing uncharacteristic aggression, Gregor tried to attack the halfling with his mace, but missed due to the halfling's small stature. Undeterred, the halfling introduced himself as Rup Humpspin, a salt druid that lived in the outskirts of the salt plains. Despite Gregor continuing to show an odd force of aggression, Rup remained cheerful towards the group. Both Ivak and Ragnarok began to realize that not all was well with Gregor, with their meddling the previous night possibly having adverse effects. The two then asked Rup, being a assault druid, if he had any remedies for what ailment was afflicting Gregor. Although Rup did or not, he did offer to take the group back to his commune where his brothers would be able to help, or, at the very least, he would be able to provide them with some herbs that would reduce the aggressive effects that Gregor was displaying. By the time they had finally reached the distant salt spire where it turned out that Rup lived, a dusk had already begun to fall. Once they had entered the spire, Rup revealed that whilst he was not innately magical, his brothers were. But whilst they awaited their return, Rup would be happy to make them some soup as a show of hospitality. The spire itself was a multi-tiered building with three separate floors and disjointed ceilings. Despite the spire itself seeming deserted, from the kitchens, Rupp assured the trio that this was due to his brothers going on a pilgrimage to the salt plains without him. Gregor continued acting extremely aggressive, to the point of Ivor questioning Gregor's recent motives, with Gregor responding that he was simply following the way of Talos, revealing that the cleric had sunk back to his old ways, how he was before the Ereborian Civil War. Both Ivak and Ragnarok realized how bad things could get as they implored Rup to help them somehow. Rup would not be able to do anything physically, uh, but he could add a potion to his soup that would induce a waking dream, one that would force Gregor to confront his true self, not unlike the method that Cyric had tried employing. For the next half an hour, Ivok struggled to get Gregor up the stairs to the dining area, whilst Ragnarok investigated some of the areas and it quickly became apparent that the spy had fallen slightly into a state of disrepair, with numerous bottles and clothes strewn across the rooms. 
Eventually, though, Rupp returned with three bowls of soup for the group. Although it tasted nice enough, each of the group, and not just Gregor as was initially planned, fell asleep, realising that whatever they had drunk had been dosed with whatever potion Rupp had been conjuring in the kitchen. When they awoke, they found themselves each in a pivotal moment of their lives. For Ragnarok, this meant going back to the forests, at the base of the Dragon Jaw Mountains, where he lived with his father when he was but a small child. Seconds after realizing where he was, he tried to use his old drums, and was confronted by a visage of his father, who proceeded to scold his son for spending his time playing instruments instead of learning to survive. In an attempt to satiate his father, Ragnarok began to gather firewood from the surrounding areas, talking to his father as he did so. His father then began to discuss their circumstances and why they were living in the woods. Namely, to avoid what had happened in the Citadel, their former home, though he did not specify the events. Strangely enough though, his father also seemed to reference Ragnarok's current predicament as being stuck in a dream. For Gregor, it meant returning back to the halls of King Titan during the Erborian Civil War, a time where he had unwavering loyalty to both the King and to Talos. After years of running, Gregor found himself back in the presence of King Titan, who demanded to know how Gregor would deal with the latest gnomish attacks. Settling back into the role quickly, Gregor began to lay out his plan, namely to infiltrate the Neomis ranks to gain information, a plan that was questioned by Titan due to Gregor's size compared to the rebels. Gregor was ultimately unable to convince Titan, so the king then asked the figure that was stood next to Gregor. It was at this point that Edgar Morrow, Gregor's oldest friend, spoke up. He had a plan involving the forest nearby, as well as a surprising new ally. At this, Edgar turned to Gregor and implored him to wake up. And for Ivok, he found himself back home at long last. He was back at the monastery before it had been raised to the ground. He found himself walking with his master as they discussed Ivok's upcoming attempts at the still wall, a practice where the disciple would sit in the freezing cold for numerous days, wearing only the robes of the order to keep them warm. Having confirmed to his master that he was still intending to attempt the still wall, Ivok's master explained the trial to him in detail, letting him know that failure would result in his being cast out of the Order. His master let him know of his expectations, being one of the only other humans in the Harrensay Guild. He also suggested to Ivok that before he undertook the Stillwall, it would serve him well to meet up with another human who had passed, Cryat. Mole's Blade, a high-ranking member of the Order. 
Finally, his master turned to him and asked his pupil to wake up. With the best trained mind, honed over years of practice, Ivik was the first to wake up, followed shortly by Gregor. They quickly realized that they were in a small, dank room, with very little light coming in from the slits in the ceiling. Although both Ivak and Gregor had awoke, Ragnarok was still in deep sleep. That looked to be getting deeper and deeper still. Despite their hardest to get through to him, including a... Uh, helpful suggestion of dismemberment from the uh, different Gregor, we'll say, yes. The duo were unable to get Ragnarok to stir. The danger of their predicament became clear, and so Gregor began to try and pry open a trapdoor with his sunblade, which had turned from its usual brilliant white blade to an ominous obsidian black. Although he was unable to prise the door open, the damage inflicted to the trapped door allowed Gregor to see the dining table below, proving that they were still in the salt spire. As he continued to try to break open the trapdoor, an increasingly desperate Ivok continued trying to wake Ragnarok up resorting to covering his mouth and nose with the rationalization that the lack of oxygen would surely wake his friend up. Back in his dream state, Ragnarok had begun to discuss his mother. After a while, Ragnarok discovered his mother's name, Arquenia, meaning, of course, sunlight in Elvish. Ragnarok was told that wherever Arquenia walked, flowers would bloom. However, since her death, his father had not seen them bloom anywhere. As they were conversing, his father also told him to return to the forest if he ever felt lost or afraid in the future. A sudden and violent movement rocked Ragnarok and the scene itself, startling him and causing him to run through the forest as it began to decolorize and distort, mainly due to Ivor restricting his airways in the real world. Sensing that something was nearby, Ragnarok began to clamber up a nearby tree, panic engulfing him. Before he was captured though, the tree branches around him lifted him up more, and he awoke to Gregor punching him in the face. Understandably, Ragnarok then took a swing at Gregor, however he missed. The group then tried to break out of a small room, but to no avail. Shortly after, a trapdoor swung open and in walked her up. In an attempt to contain the halfling, Ragnarok tied him up with some rope. Despite this, though, Rup did not seem phased and instead began to laugh. 
Within seconds, Rupp began to vibrate, with his entire body beginning to grow exponentially. Ropes began to strain and snapped as he continued to grow, his face becoming grotesque, skin becoming pale and blotted, and finally taking their true form as an anise hag. The trio at first tried to rationalize with the creature, asking what it wanted, but with a simple response of feed, the trio once again found themselves in a situation where the only option was to fight their way out. Despite being in an enclosed space, the group engaged with the Anis Hag. The trio fought valiantly and as one, Ragnarok conjuring a cloud of daggers and Gregor and Ivok forcing it to remain in range until the daggers found their target. Despite this though, at numerous points the Ennis Hag managed to deal some damage to the group with the closest call being when the Hag managed to pin down Ivok and began trying to rip out his throat. Luckily though, this was all in vain, and the fight finally ended when Ivor broke the hold by severing one of the hag's arms, followed by another round of daggers from Ragnarok, decapitating their foe. The silence fell upon them, and blood spilling from the now decapitated corpse of the hag. The blood continued to pool in the attic room, and, as it did, a small white flower spouted and bloomed from the pool. The group had managed to stumble onto a rare fey-growth plant. The group then went back into the main area of the spire. But, with the hag now dead, and their spell finally dropped, what awaited them was a scene of pure horror. Whilst the salt druids may have lived at the spire at one point, it was obvious that this hadn't been the case for quite some time. The place littered with long decomposed corpses, blood smothered everywhere and any food that had been there once had long turned mouldy. Despite the horrific carnage inside, the group decided to stay in the salt spire overnight, as travelling in the night time may prove dangerous. The next morning, they continued with their journey, though after some time, they all thought that they were somehow sharing a mass hallucination, as they could all see fields in the distance. However, the closer they got, the more obvious it became that the fields were in fact real. Not only that, but there were numerous bison in the fields. What followed was an attempt at hunting by Ivok and Ragnarok. That is, if you can consider attacking bison contained in a field as hunting. But rather than instigate a clean kill, the duo ended up accidentally tormenting one bison. Ragnarok injured its ear with his crossbow. Ivok grazed it with his spear with it finally being slain by a Ragnarok, 
accidentally decapitating it with his tentacle rod. As the two were wreaking havoc in one field, an irate Gregor began making his way up the path, completely struck by how devastated the other field was. The fencing completely shattered, with various areas still ablaze, the field itself covered in the blood of cattle, and the cattle themselves had been torn apart by some unknown force. Unperturbed by the scene, Gregor continued up the path towards some nearby houses as Ivok finally noticed the scene of devastation nearby. Unfortunately though, tracking was not one of the monk's talents, and he found himself following the same tracks in circles before finally giving up. Meanwhile, Gregor had ventured further into the settlement and come across two rudimentary buildings. One spewing red smoke into the air, the other joined to what appeared to be a pig pen. After shouting out, the owner of the pig pen greeted Gregor, answering his questions about Lord Solus, as well as letting him know that they were indeed at Beggar's Hollow and Solus himself was in the inn and tavern called Traveler's Rest. With this information, Gregor retrieved his friends, uh, but not before the trio continued to chat to the farmer. Upon closer investigation, they discovered that the animals were in fact Tapirs, an animal that Ivok was well acquainted with. Given that their natural habitat is the base of the Heronsay Mountains, where his order was based. The group engaged in a short conversation with the farmer, identifying himself as Marcel. The conversation mainly consisting of his regrets that his tapirs were a food source for the village rather than companions as well as the odd fact that Marcel, an obvious human, seemed to continue referring to himself as a kobold, as well as referring to the rest of the village as kobolds as well. Throughout the conversation, Marcel continually mispronounced Ragnarok's name, to the point where Ragnarok almost murdered Marcel in cold blood before being literally dragged away by his companions. Once inside the Traveler's Rest, it did not take long for the group to locate Lord Solus, as he was the only non-kobold within the premises. The tavern itself was an odd layout. From the outside, it looked as though it could only consist of a single medium-sized room. And, entering the establishment, that belief would appear to be confirmed. Uh, but, there were numerous doors on the walls, spaced relatively close together. <laughs> a, uh, a simple enchantment. Quite honestly, it did not take too much work, as long as one knows the runic incantations, it is easy to uh, place these kind of portals anywhere. Nonetheless, nonetheless, um... <clears throat> Additionally, although there was music playing throughout the tavern, it appeared as though there were no musicians in the room. Instead, there were simply instruments and playing themselves. 
Again, another simple enchantment, as long as one knows the runic incantations, and I would dare say that whomever, whichever dashing fellow, enchanted those instruments, it was as a favor for a dear, a dear friend, and it did not concern him all that much. Back to the story, though. <laughs> Completely unrelated that, yes. Uh, moving on swiftly. Uh, whilst Ragnarok stood in awe and a little fear of my... Uh, the inventions, Gregor approached a tall, blue-skinned sea elf, clad in a dark red cloth and obviously out of place within the tavern. As suspected, the elf identified himself as Lord Marwin Ralvolio Solus. Always wonderful. Theatrics, that one. Hmm. Uh, where was I? Where was I? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Apologies. Uh, the elf identified himself as Lord Marwin Ralvolio Solus, with Gregor introducing himself and the rest of his group explaining that they had sought Lord Solis out, looking for an adventurer's permit. Ever the cad, Solis agreed to granting them a permit, if and only if they agreed to slay the dragon that had attacked the settlements. Solis, as he is wont to do, exaggerated the details of his attempts to vanquish the dragon, claiming that he had fought a close battle with an enormously large beast, uh, but worrying that his death would bring sorrow to the people, he had to retreat. As a result, if they vanquished the dragon, he would be able to know for a fact they were worthy permit and as an additional reward he would gift them a large amount of gold on completion with this Solus retired to his room passing into one of the doors in the wall and revealing that maybe this tavern was not quite as simple as it seemed Ragnarok then took the opportunity to try and sell the cut up a bison carcass that he and Ivok had previously slain this, of course, rattled the suspicions of Nave Tivu, the village leader and uh, barman. But before an actual argument could occur, Ragnarok's companions defused the situation. Before the group set off, they decided to spend some time drinking and getting some further information from Nave. Oh, dear, to give them further information on the, on the dragon that attacked the village. It was a small red wormling, no bigger than a horse that he himself could have possibly dealt with if not for his arm. With this, he held up an arm that was obviously a force and held on by magic. He then explained that an accident that had occurred as a young adventurer had, uh, had left him with one less arm, which, uh, uh, but, um, uh, one of his fellow adventurers owed him a favor and consorted the arm for him. Nave also explained that the same adventurer was the man who enchanted the instruments to play by themselves, as well as, uh, 
setting up a teleportation system using weather vanes and runes. The man, and none other than myself, a dear listener, Amrius Reap, patriarch of the Reap family, a well-renowned explorer, ex-adventurer, and well-respected scholar. Having left the tavern, Ivacan Ragnarok paid a visit to Peaks, the local potion seller. Inside the shack, although Teak seemed slightly unhinged, he struck up a quick friendship with Ragnarok, uh, two possibly uh, being like-minded individuals in that sense. <laughs> uh, Teak was able to inform the two that although the dragon could breathe fire, due to its young age it would only be able to do so once in a while. Additionally, after listing the potions he had available, Teeks also requested that if the group were travelling into the salt plains, they kept their eyes out for a mushroom needed for a memory loss potion that Teeks was developing. Ragnarok realised where Teeks was going with this, and presented him with a renarial mushroom that had triggered Gregor's memory loss. Unfortunately though, Teeks explained that the mushroom was spent and he needed at least three live mushrooms. As a reward, he would give them multiple potions as well as giving them their money back for the potions that they had already bought. With the sun beating down on them, the group made their way to the Salt Plains. A barren landscape with alien-looking salt structures that had been built up over the centuries. They continued following the stream that they had originally followed from Salt Harbor, and as they progressed into the plains themselves, only the stream seemed to hold any life. As they continued to investigate the area, Gregor summoned a rat and panther, once again creatively named Rati and Panfi, respectively. Unfortunately though, the scorpion attacked Rati, and the rat subsequently died in Gregor's arms. The cracks on the ground began to get larger the further they ventured into the plains, until at one point, the group realized that they could quite easily venture into the underground depths, and with a salt storm quickly approaching, they decided that this would be the best course of action. The further they ventured downwards, the more the floor of the plains began to overhang from the cracks, blocking out the sunlight. The path began to narrow splitting away from the stream which, at that point, had become a raging river below them. But with the sunlight now completely gone, the group were able to appreciate the true beauty of the Arios. Luminescent plants of all colors lit up the way ahead, and the river below had started to glow a pale green-blue hue from various life-forms within the water. 
Although many of the plants simply glowed a beautiful color, others seemed to try and reach out and entice the group. This was especially true of an orange plant, which Gregor, quite unwisely, decided to touch. Having obviously not learned his lesson from uh, touching unknown plants previously, the orange plant tried to melt Gregor's arm off using acid. Shockingly though, the plant was unsuccessful and Gregor managed to free himself. As this had been going on and Gregor had been struggling with the plants, both Ivok and Ragnarok had realized that amongst the glowing flora were multiple renarial mushrooms, and whilst many were out of their reach, a few were not. As Gregor struggled in the background, both Ragnarok and Ivok continued trying to harvest the mushrooms, first by being boosted by the other to grab some overhanging mushrooms and coming dangerously close to touching the cap and triggering the spores once more. And then by harvesting a final mushroom using Ragnarok's tentacle rod. Uh, with the mushrooms harvested, and with Gregor finally freeing himself from the attacking flora, the trio continued down the path, heading deeper into the underground. Although many of the diverging paths into the rock face seemed natural, the three noticed just as many seemed much more recent, and rather than being the result of a water erosion, these holes bore the telltale burn marks as well as signs of being melted. Almost as if to confirm their suspicions, a deep guttural roar could be heard echoing from one of the tunnels. They had finally found their quarry. Despite now knowing where the dragon resided, there was still the issue of actually reaching the entrance as the sheer drop and raging river separated the entrance from the path. After some discussion, Ivok revealed a new skill that he had been uh, developing in secret. By focusing his key, he slowly raised the torrent of water from the river until it was at their height, and with the water freezing as it rose, it created a makeshift bridge. Inside the cavern, the group ventured further inwards trying to locate the source of the noise when they came across a fork in the tunnels. Whilst Ivok was prepared to let Gregor walk off alone, Ragnarok, who had, quite understandably, grown concerned over Gregor's recent actions, decided that he would stick with Gregor whilst Ivok would explore on his own. Ragnarok and Gregor continued upwards, with the path becoming so thin that Ragnarok had to leave his loot behind as the two sidestepped further inwards, being squeezed as they continued. Finally though, they escaped into a small cavern containing three chests. Unfortunately for the pair though, they immediately stumbled into a trap due to their avarice. 
as Ragnarok, dashing for the central chest, stepped on a precious sensitive pad. Unperturbed by his companion's stroke of bad luck, Gregor set about looting to other chests as Ragnarok watched on helplessly. That said, even with his new outlook, though I suppose, thinking on it, it would be his old outlook house. Memories are tricky. Anyway, uh, Gregor relented and forced Ragnarok off of the pad, taking his place before it could trigger any untoward effects. Finally free, Ragnarok raided the last chest, and the two set about trying to escape their current predicament, coming up with a plan of using a rock to quickly replace the pressure on Gregor's foot. As this foray into misadventure was unfolding, Ivor could also continue exploring, coming out into a vast set of interconnected chambers, littered in the skeletal remains of what Ivor could only assume to be either previous adventurers or miners of some sort. Nonetheless, they were assumed to be victims of the fearsome dragon. In addition, he could also spot numerous luminous mushrooms. Cautiously entering the cavern further, he called out, making his presence known. But the only response was that a loud guttural roar. Realizing that the noise had come from one of the high areas within the chamber, Ivok then tried using his monk abilities to scale the walls, uh, but to no avail. Thankfully though, he was able to quickly find a ladder, and ascended to a higher spot within the chamber. And with a better view of the scene below him, he noted that the broken tables and furniture, as well as the ancient cooking equipment, hinted that this may have been, at one point, a living area. A living area that would have been mercilessly snuffed out, he noted, as he spotted the form of an ancient dragon, now reduced to bones. Additionally, the cliff tops that he had scaled appeared to be connected by wooden bridges. Ones that he attempted to cross, successfully, but uh, coming close numerous times to breaking the rotten slats. Once on the other side, approaching another living area, Ivok spotted the spindly form of what he could only assume to be their quarry. With Gregor and Ragnarok finally making their way to the chamber, they could hear Ivok and the beast roaring at each other. But as his companions approached, Ivok realized that the creature, no larger than a small horse, was not quite the threat that it had been made out to be as it began to cower and back away slightly. Having grown up in the monastery, and having cared for many animals in the past, Ivok utilized his experience and began trying to earn the trust of the creature, first by lowering his weapons, and then by placing some meat on the floor and allowing the creature some space. Even though the creature did not initially approach him, still seeming to be quite frightened, Ivok had already decided at that point that the creature posed no threat and relayed it to his 
slightly abhorrent companions, although he did not question them on their <clears throat> unexplained injuries. Ragnarok immediately followed Ivik's lead by attempting to coax the creature towards them with music, with only minor success. Whilst Gregor continued to try and convince the group to slay their targets. This continued on for a short while. Gregor only stopped from attacking the creature by Ragnarok, who at this point had blocked further passageway. This situation changed though when Gregor realized that the creature was talking in draconic, an ancient form of it, but draconic nonetheless. With surprising delicacy, Gregor approached the creature and comforted it, beginning to converse with the creature, now identified as a red wormling and managed to teach it how to speak some rudimentary common so that it would be able to talk to the rest of the group directly. The Wormling told the group that its name was Bimit, and Bimit told them of how its mother had been slain a long time ago, and he himself had been stolen from his motherland of Khazadar by a witch. For centuries, she had been imprisoned within a glass wall, freed only when she passed away recently. The group asked Bimit about the numerous skeletons within the chamber, but the young wormling had no clue as to how they had died. He had only stuck to cattle as his slumber had left him with a voracious appetite. However, the nearest village was full of creatures that he regarded as kin. With the group able to understand that the village of Kobolds, Beggar's Hollow, bore a striking resemblance to Woodrying Kind, and as such, Bimit refused to harm them. This also explained his uh, apparent familiarity with Gregor as the Dragonborn reminded of Bimit of his own kin. After having spent some further time with Bimit, the group came to the consensus that they simply could not carry out their task and slaughter a being that was, in essence, but a small child. That said, even though they agreed not to kill Bimit, they were unsure as to what to do with him. After some convincing, Ragnarok managed to persuade Bimit to join them, as the group would be able to keep him safe and well fed. In return for his loyalty and for protection when older, it was a deal that the Wormling happily accepted. Especially when the ideal was sweetened, so to speak, with a flank of bison. As they departed the cave with Bimit in tow, Gregor came up with the idea of using the tooth from the ancient dragon skeleton as a way of fooling Lord Solus. A plan that would almost certainly not work on anyone else, uh, but given Solus's penchant for wanting to seem the smartest in the room, it would uh, almost certainly work. 
Oh, fortunately for the now expanded group, their journey back was uneventful, and before they knew it, they were back at the outskirts of Beggar's Hollow, and it was there that Bimit took off on the behest of the group, though they were left wondering if he would remain on the outskirts in the air as requested, or if he would make a break for it. Once they were in the tavern, they presented the tooth to Lord Solus, and as expected, he gladly accepted this as proof, and rewarded them with the gold promised, as well as the adventurer's permit that they so desired. But, before he could sign off on it, he needed a name, and in honour of their new companion, they settled on the name of Solomonari, also known as our Dragon Riders. And that, my friends, is the story of how the group of Ragnarok, Ivok, and Gregor came together in the direst of circumstances and eventually formed the Solomonari, a tale that is still unfolding as we speak. Wow, what a comprehensive retelling of the story so far, and definitely voiced by someone who isn't me, and definitely done in one session rather than over multiple sessions over a prolonged period of time, because someone may have underestimated just how long that would take. <coughs> anyway, that is, that's pretty much everything at this point in time. There is, there is a teeny bit more, but that is covered in episode one, The Wager, which is currently out now. The video version is on our YouTube channel, Rollcast, and the audio-only version will be on any any podcast platform, really, that's good. I, I just want to thank you all for sticking around. The full retelling of our story is, is quite lengthy. It's a lot longer than I expected it to be, to be completely honest, but hopefully it's given you a bit of an idea of what the campaign so far has entailed and what to look forward to going going forward, really. I know in these retellings, when it's just one person, it's a bit difficult to get a feel of the group dynamics, so I guess you'll just have to watch or listen to our future episodes to find that one out. Um, as mentioned, episode one has already been published, and future episodes will be uploaded every other Wednesday, so two weeks after the last episode has been uploaded. Um... I'm not too great, really, at ending these videos, so uh, hopefully we'll see you on episode two tonight. That's the um, that's the name of the episode, not the actual release date. That's in that's in two weeks' time. Bye. This has been a special catch-up episode of the Reaper, the Maelstrom, and the Thief. Broadcast is JB as Ragnarok. Coogan as Gregor the Last, Gareth Ryan as Ivak Mylart, and myself, Tom Crab, as the DM. Our intro, midpoint, and outro theme were created by JB, and this episode was edited and mixed by myself. We'd also like to thank the following for allowing us to use their music and ambiences. Adrian von Ziegler, Alexander Nakarada, Alexandra Zelenov's music, Avery Alexander, Darren Curtis Music, Michael Gelfi Studios, Peritune, PGN Music, Ross Bugden, 
Royalty Free Zone, Scott Buckley, Sword Coast Soundscapes, Techno Axe's Royalty Free Music, The Ambience Channel, and The Seventh Midnight. Full links to their tracks can be found in the episode description, and I personally would really recommend checking them out for either your own tabletop games, or for music when writing, or just generally being creative, as I'm sure, like with me, it'll help take you up to the next level. If you've liked what you've heard this time, and you want to keep up with all of our updates, then give us a like on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash cast that role, and follow us on Twitter at cast that role. We post updates, small clips, and links to all of our episodes, both podcasts and video forms, as well as the occasional behind-the-scenes facts and uh, pre-podcast stories. If you've listened to this episode and want to see the video version instead, then subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for the handle at CastThatRoll. Likewise, if you've watched this episode and you want to stick with the podcast version, then uh, search for Rollcast on Spotify, iTunes, and all other major podcast providers. Episode 1, The Wager, is currently up on YouTube and all major podcast providers, and episode 2, titled Tonight, releases November 30th. By the time that it... Nope. <laughs> that was fucking terrible. Gregor continued acting... Uh, bleh. Acting bleh. Realising... Wow, that was a bad one. Realising... Well, gosh darn it, I did there realise that there's a dragon up in that there cave,